And in case you weren't thinking they, they, thinking they weren't listening, the moment it was time to go for the treats, boom! <laughs> I love it. We're going to ask now that God would bless his word to us. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, in this moment, right now, here in worship or even later when someone is listening online, you know exactly what we need to hear. Pray that you would awaken within us an understanding of your love for us, how your spirit is even now working in the midst of each of us. That would be humbled by the fact that you are very real, more real than anything we know, and that in this moment you plan to teach us and plan to have us grow before you. So may you bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we have the privilege of looking over the shoulder or listening in to a letter that was written long ago to the third church in Thessalonica, a letter written by Paul to a church that he had helped plant. The Acts of the Apostles suggest that he was there three successive Sundays or three Sundays in some succession. The length of time he was there suggests it was short and at the same time suggests it was enough for him to build solid relationships enough for him to allude to and remind them of what he and what Silas were like when they were among them. And now he's writing a letter of encouragement, a letter that was preserved by the church for the greater church, a letter that reflected something of the glory and gifts of God. We're going to pick up in the middle of that letter, the second chapter. We're going to dive right in, and it would be understandable if we don't fully understand all that is going on, but we're going to try and pull that out as we go along. So from 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse, Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers or brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know. 
nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He's talking about bringing and delivering the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's love for the world. He's talking about motive and method, why he brought it and how he brought it. And next week, we'll even talk a little bit more about the method all the more. But motive and method, and as we listen to this letter today, we listen in the context of a life lived completely in Thelma and a life that is about to begin is in its early hours in Aden. And we think about the time in between, how we use that time, how we partake in sharing and conveying the good news that God loves us so much that he sent his only son. Two stories for you, two experiences on the highways of New Jersey. We lived out east for a number of years, and here in the Midwest, it's a little more hard to grasp this, but I know many of you have been to a big city and probably even have been out east or otherwise. But in New Jersey, there are three main highways that are really like the arteries that are the lifeblood of the economy there because everything flows towards New York City and it's expansive. Three main arteries, highways. There's the parkway, there's the turnpike, and then there's 287. The parkway, I often think more of, it should be, it's been falsely named, it should be more called the parking lot. We were on the parkway, and we were early on in New Jersey living there, and on the parkway, you travel every so many miles, and back before easy pass and such things where you could just keep driving, you had to stop for a toll booth every, I don't know, 10, 15 miles and throw in another 35 cents. And there would be so many toll booths, maybe 20 or more, that you would all file into because there was so much traffic going. There weren't even those, you know, gates that go up. They didn't wait for gates. There wasn't time for gates. You, you just threw in your money and you waited for the green light and you went. Some did this at a pretty good clip. They were good at throwing their coins in and going through. I was new. I got up and I threw my coins in and the light stayed red. 
It didn't go green. I didn't know what to do. I could see there was a state police officer further up there sitting, kind of looking back, monitoring everything that's going on. And I knew that I'm the type of person that if I go, even though I threw my money in, I'll get caught. That's just who I am. Anybody else like that? If you do it wrong the first time, though someone else next to you has done it 20 times, you're going to get caught. That's me. So I sat there. I didn't know what to do. And, and finally, the police officer saw my plight, and he threw it in reverse, and I didn't know a car could go that fast in reverse. But he roared back all the way to me, popped his head out, and I thought, sure enough, he says, he says what are you doing? And I said, well, I put my money in the bin. It, it didn't change. And he said, actually, I can't tell you what he said. I'll try it. Um, get your blankety blank blank blankety blank down the blankety blank and let me never see your blankety blank. You get the idea. I went. The reason he did that is I was about to give the state of New Jersey a coronary because behind me was backing up so many cars, even though there were 20-some bays, I was blocking it up, and it was further blocking up, further back, and people couldn't even get to the other bays, and the state of New Jersey was about to come to a standstill because my light didn't go green. That was my first chance to say go green during a hard season. That's my first highway story. You need to appreciate that for the second highway story. You see, you don't slow things down in New Jersey because everything comes to a standstill. This highway was not one of the three major ones, but was 202. Two lanes going one way, two lanes going the other lane, and full traffic, and the type of highway that is so busy that there are lights and you can get off, but to go left, you have to go right. They use jug handles. Everything is to keep the traffic moving, flowing. We live not far off of 202, and one day I saw in the distance a police escort going very slow, and traffic was trying to get around, and this police escort was coming, police cars in front and police cars in back, and what was in between them was a runner. A runner on the highway carrying a football. And across his chest were the words, Army, carrying a football. You know, West Point is in southern New York, and Philadelphia is where the Army-Navy football game is played. And West Point this year was conveying the football by running it to the game. 140 miles, different cadets trading off running that football with a full-blown state police escort. And people were driving by, and they were honking. Some of them honking in appreciation for the big Army-Navy game that's coming. And New Jersey sits in the between New York and Philadelphia. And this football was being conveyed, and traffic was backing up. Some were honking with great delight, and others were honking with great 
frustration. You know, they get that ball to the game and finally they throw it up into a, a plane and someone parachutes down and they, they skydive down with the ball and they land right there on the 50-yard line and they say, here's the ball for the game. The ball is important. This was to draw everybody's attention to that football and how important it was. Didn't matter if the state of New Jersey is now going to have a minor coronary. That doesn't matter. The Army-Navy game is about to happen. And I couldn't help but think about what we're called to carry, the good news of Jesus Christ. That for many people, there's a real question in their mind about why we carry this good news. Paul writes that, look, I suffered greatly in the previous town of Philippi when I was there. You know this. I was terribly treated. So why do I keep doing this? Even when I came to you, that others came and, and told about that we were disruptive and they made more conflict. You know that this sharing of the gospel with you was amidst conflict. And Paul writes and says, look, I do this, this appeal to you, this, this football, this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ is not out of, as he says, out of error, we don't have this wrong. This is important. I'm bringing this to you not because it's some half-baked thing, another religion we're throwing into the mix. No, this is about God's good news and how much he loves you. It's not out of error, nor is it out of impurity. You know, there were many on that highway of 202 who were looking at that football and that guy carrying it saying, you're in the wrong place. You don't belong here. This is a highway. So much of life today even reacts to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Like, what are you doing? You're getting in the way of culture. You're getting in the way of what we're doing. Don't you know you're throwing a wet blanket on our parade? I don't want to hear that. I don't want your nonsense. That's an impurity that gets in the way of life. Students in school, they know to lift up the name of Jesus in the hallway is just weird. It's not going to get them any social points. Matter of fact, it's going to take away from the social status. It's an impurity. And Paul says, look, at, I, didn't, I didn't appeal to you out of error or even an impurity. This isn't an impurity. You may think this doesn't belong, but it really belongs. You see, because everybody is trying to fill themselves with something to fill the hole that's inside of them, and they find all manner of things, and there's only one thing that can fill this, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Only one thing can fill us. I didn't come to you out of error or impurity or even out of, in order to deceive you. Paul knows full well that there are a lot of traveling charlatans that, that come around and do all manner of trickery in order to get something. Hey, look, I'm not doing that. I, I didn't come to you for that reason. I didn't try to deceive you. I didn't try to mislead you. That's not what this is about. Paul is coming with the good news of Jesus Christ and calling on us to do so as well.
to come with our friends and our neighbors and those we run into with the gospel. That there's something important here that we carry and that we need to remember that we carry it. That there'll be times where the culture will react and say, you're getting in the way, you're slowing things down, you're messing everything up. We don't want to hear that. But Paul is saying, look, the truth of the matter is, I received approval from God. And I was entrusted by God. Each of us, this is the absolute miracle and strangeness of our gathering. That God has chosen in his wisdom to place that good news in our hands. He has chosen through his spirit to share with others the good news of his love for us about Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us, he has chosen to use us as the ones to convey that good news. He's chosen to make us the fishermen. He not only approved this, he's entrusted now that good news with each of us so that we might carry that to others. All different ways to say that. You could say we're the ones who've been infected so that others would be infected. You can come at that metaphor in a thousand different ways. But the simple truth is Paul says, look, you now have been approved and entrusted. And as Paul says, look, and this was not to please others, to make others happy. This was not to please them and make them think well of me. Paul says, no, no, the only one I'm doing this for is God. I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to please God. You know, um, if you take several strands and weave them together, they become a strong rope. You know, it might be able to break one strand, but when you put several strands together, they become a strong rope. And the scriptures are full of several strands of God's grace to us. And they're woven all together. As you read through the scriptures over and over again, you see God's grace. Even at the very beginning when he says, hey, if you eat of that, of that fruit, you shall surely die. God, even then, as he kicks them out of the garden, provides them coverings. Which means an animal died, which means there was a sacrifice, which means God already was extending grace. Throughout the scriptures that we see God's grace woven together, making more and more of a rope till we finally have the greatest strand that holds that rope fully taut and good in Jesus Christ, the grace of God. And there are times where we're kind of like the pull. Have, have some of you maybe have seen the pull at Hope College. It's this giant tug of war. I mean, that's something else to watch. Has anybody seen the poll? Come on, tell me I'm not lost, right? 
Some of you are admitting, Calvin students are sitting on your hands, I know. But it's this giant tug of war in which they're pulling on a rope, and as they pull, that rope even gets tighter and more taut, and they're pulling. And I can't help but think of that image um, of that person who's the anchor. They're usually at an angle. The people in the pits, they're laying on their sides, pulling on that rope, and and the person on the, the, that's the anchor is usually at an angle. They're like this. The rope's wrapped all around them, and they're pulling. And the pullers who do this between the freshman and sophomore class, they do it all for glory of the year that wins, you know, the freshman year one, the sophomore year one. And they actually do it so that they can win glory for the odd years or the even years. You know, once you are a junior or senior, you're still cheering on the appropriate freshman or sophomore class if they're an odd or even year. We went back this year and watched the pull, and I saw someone else, say, you know, go chanting by, walking by us, and, and the person, probably been out of college 30 years, says, uh, what is it, even year every year. I mean, this just stuck with us, right? That idea of pride for the year. Pulling on this rope, pulling on this rope, pulling for pride, and Paul is talking about this idea that, look, it's not for our own glory that we carry this gospel, that we're pulling and trying to help, that, that every little inch matters. It's not for our glory, but it's for the glory of God in every way. He says, well, look, you know, even though we were apostles and we could receive glory, that's not why we're doing this. It's not for our glory that we carry this gospel. It's always for God. And then he amazes us when he gets towards the end of what he's writing and what we read this morning. He says, look, I shared the gospel with you, and we were gentle with you. We were gentle. Gentle, and he, he draws upon this image, this familial image of, of a mother nursing a child. Of a mother who so cares for her own children, providing them life and, and care. And I think of little Aiden and his beginning of his life and how everything is dependent in every way he's dependent on others. And Paul has an image of this young church that in every way they were dependent on him. They were dependent on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he approached that with as gentle a process as he could, sharing with them. And this is the powerful thing about the gospel. It's been entrusted to us to share with others. And you know one of the struggles and why we struggle to share the gospel? It's not that we have any trouble telling people good news. Sometimes the trouble is that we know that it means getting involved in people's lives. And time is, you know, we don't have a lot of time. Sharing the gospel means getting involved in people's lives, and, and we don't have time for that. But the beauty of the gospel is that when we share the gospel, we get involved in people's lives, and we ourselves are changed. We ourselves get a window into how much God loves us as we can't help ourselves and begin to love the person with whom we're sharing the gospel. Not only in a moment, but over time, 
So much of our actions, as was explained earlier in the, in the children's sermon, so much of our actions are what people are seeing. They're seeing the bait or the lure that we set out. And so Paul says, I was gentle with you. And we were willing to give so much that not only did we share the gospel with you, but as a result of sharing the gospel with you, we were willing to share our very selves, who we are. We were willing to live life with you. That's the transformative action of the Jesus Christ. His call for us to live with one another and share the love of God with one another. That's the transformation that takes place when we offer true forgiveness and true grace to one another. When we can see the sin in each other and truly understand and, and, and wash it away with the same blood that's been washed away through Jesus Christ. Where we're willing to truly live with one another when we're truly willing to enter into the lives of others and share. Paul is writing not out of hopes of just trying to keep everything going, but he's writing because he's deeply invested in them and he shared the gospel with them. And because he shared the gospel with them, he shared his very self. You know, um, my wife was reminding me uh, just this past weekend or week here, um, there was another church that for Easter, in order to get more people to come from the community, uh, it was a big church, they decided to do a, uh, a, car, uh, a car raffle. If you came to that church on Easter Sunday, whether you were a Christian or not, you were entered in the raffle for that car. You could win a free car. Is that what the gospel's about? As Suzanne is often quick to point out, when Peter was walking into the temple and the, the beggar was asking for, for some kind of coins or something, Peter looks down at uh, Peter and John look down and says, you know, silver and gold I have not. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. We're so concerned about whether we have the right things or can give the right stuff. It is about giving the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the transformative action. That's how the church has always been. That's how the church continues to expand and grow and develop. It's when people share their lives fully and are honest that we're sinners and that what gets us going is that we are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Rich Mullins, long ago, contemporary songwriter, wrote, if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. Paul's motives and methods are about sharing the love of Jesus Christ, not for his own glory, but for all, for God's glory. And his manner of doing so is to in every way invest himself in the lives of others as he shares that gospel. We've got work to do 
as we learn to further invest in our community and the lives around us so that we might share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, may you give us guidance as we consider all that you share to us in your word. Give us guidance. Help us realize that what you've entrusted us with is not an error and it's not an impurity and it's not a message of deceit but fully a message of your love. And you've entrusted it to us to carry so that we might be invested in the lives of others and that as we are in that investment, sharing that good news, they may see it not only in our words, but in our actions. Help us, O Lord, so to live. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.